0: Welcome to Women in International Law, a podcast of the Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights and the Atlas Network.
1: Join us and hear from women with varied experiences and career paths in the field of international law. Coming up in
0: this episode... As I go forward with my life, I try not to forget where I come from. It's good to know where we want to go, but it's also good to be uh, reminded uh, of our past and why we've taken some decisions and perhaps revise them, perhaps reaffirm them at certain points of our lives. Um, For me, given the the topics that I'm working on and I'm interested in working and being close to victims uh, to, to human rights abuses is very important.
1: My name is Paige Morrow and I am with you from the Graduate Institute. I myself am a research associate at the Graduate Institute, along with being senior legal advisor to the UN Special Rapporteur for Freedom of Expression. I am here today with Yelena Aparak, who is Head of Policy, Advocacy and Research at Legal Action Worldwide, and we're here to hear a little bit more about her career path so far into international human rights law and as a woman human rights advocate. Yelena,
0: thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Let's get right into it. Jelena, um, we had a really interesting discussion with you a few days ago about your journey into the UN system. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? You've had a couple of roles. What, what
0: took you into them? Ooh, it's UN um, uh, and, uh, and I are kind of like a, a back and forth relationship, I could say. I started uh, straight after I finished Geneva Academy uh, LLM in 2009. As um, intern with OCHA, Office for the Coordination for Humanitarian Affairs here in Geneva, in the UN headquarters in Geneva, working on emergency preparedness and uh, donors uh, planning, budget planning as a young intern. I moved from there to the uh, appeals chamber, that is a common appeals chamber, to both tribunals for the former uh, Yugoslavia and Rwanda to work also as an intern for, for a few months. And then um, I actually uh, didn't have enough uh, money to continue unpaid internships like many of the students don't these days. And so I've decided to stop the internships uh, and to uh, do other things. And at the time, actually, I, I um, started a PhD that was uh, in Paris Nanterre University. But then I came back a few years later as UN expert for special procedures, and uh, particularly the mandate for the UN working group on the use of mercenaries, where I was a member of the working group and the chair rapporteur for a year in 2021. And in your current role as head
1: of policy advocacy and research at Legal Action Worldwide, what is your remit, or what are you, what
0: issues are you working on? So Legal Action Worldwide is a a legal NGO composed of international human rights, humanitarian, international criminal law lawyers that work uh, mostly on the um, strategic, uh, creative, strategic litigation for victims of crimes that take place in armed conflict or uh, complex environments. And in this role, uh, my position is to really lead the team on everything that is advocacy and policy influencing for change for better protection of of victims of armed conflict and international crimes.
1: And what motivated you to set off on a career in international law and human rights advocacy?
0: (laughs) Um, As a a young teenager, I was uh, growing up uh, in the former Yugoslavia, which turned out to be uh, Croatia uh, during the war. And I decided that it's something that I really want to engage in in the long term uh, professionally to do the law and to, through the law, to find ways that are more perhaps objective, more rational, that we can never rationalize the war, but to work to protect people and um, uh, victims of armed conflicts around the world. What sort of, what were some of the initial challenges that you had when you were mm-hmm. setting off on? T- Oof, quite a lot actually. Um, well, first one was that uh, I arrived to Paris and uh, I started to study law uh, where I didn't speak French. So studying law in French without knowing the language was quite difficult. Uh, so I learned French as I was learning law, and I thought, Oh my God, I will, I will stop after two years. <laughs> and then uh, I continued. I uh, I passed the first year. I passed the second year, and then I thought, How far can I go? Uh, I liked the challenge, so I uh, engaged in that challenge. Uh, I got my master's, I got LLM from the Geneva Academy, and I thought, I will never do PhD. And then uh, I I did the PhD as well. The other challenge was the fact that I was uh, uh, a woman. Uh, Clearly, that was a a challenge. And I have had direct comments on on several occasions in different contexts that I, uh, because I'm a woman, I wouldn't understand what the conflicts are, what, what does it mean to be in the conflict zone or uh, it's a very male-dominated world, uh, armed conflicts, uh, military aspects. So you often have prejudice coming towards you. Being from Eastern Europe is also one of the, the challenge that I faced, as there have been presumption that uh, girls from Eastern Europe have a specific uh, positions to hold in a society and not necessarily uh, having... Um, decision-making uh, positions or influencing positions. So quite a few challenges, in fact, um, that uh, I'm sure I'm not the only woman to face, unfortunately.
1: And can you highlight a particular moment or
0: experience that you would consider important in terms of shaping your career path? One was uh, the fact that I've been through the war and that clearly uh, made me decide that I, I want to work on the issues where I'm close to victims. My second uh, moment that was really important and influential was when I got my LLM from Geneva Academy and that I said at the event, but it's very true because it was the moment where I felt like, well, now I have the official recognition of the things that I felt maybe have just been some dreams of a young girl that has been through the war. And so now I'm actually not that young girl anymore. I am a professional and uh, it's very encouraging. It's very motivating. It's... Also, it was very inspiring by by the professors I had and and other students that were with me at the Geneva Academy. And I think the third moment for me was when I became a mother and um, learning the true place of a woman in the the world and that it is a a challenge where, where you feel rather alone and yet at the same time not alone at all by having a whole team of other women that are in the same situation. So it it was a moment where I started to see the role of women in the society through different lenses. And you're
1: currently um, with a leadership role in a nonprofit organization, but you also hold a PhD. How do you see yourself combining academia with the role of a
0: practitioner? I thought it was going to be, when when I initially took this decision uh, to take both paths of my career, I thought it was going to be an interesting and easy path where I will just combine and swing from one to another, come back. Um, But in fact, it it wasn't that easy. Uh, It's very um, box uh, style uh, thinking. Practitioners often feel that academics do not understand how it is in the real world of practice. And academics think that that it's 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 a different world out there from practice, and they are very much disconnected. That is my feeling with uh, armed conflict and, and some of the realities that do occur in in real um, situations. I felt like I had to justify very often uh, my positions and why I'm choosing to do both, but. I very often also found uh, people that were open-minded to, to things and they actually wanted to engage. And when that does take place, uh, it actually uh, brings beautiful results uh, and very useful uh, results uh, for both academia and policy makers and practitioners. And when you went to into doctoral studies, you were were
1: already into your career at that point. Um, and- Your child was born shortly thereafter, uh, around that time. Did you see a professional benefit to setting off into your doctorate,
0: especially as you were into your career? Or was it more of a personal challenge? (laughs) So when I started a PhD, and then I had my first mission with uh, Doctors Without Borders, with MSF in South Sudan, and I feel like I was very lucky because I wrote to my supervisor, uh, Marina Wood, in Paris, and I said, I've started the PhD Uh, I love the topic that I'm doing. I think it's very important. It's on business and human rights in armed conflict. But I have this proposal for the mission with MSF. I don't want to stop PhD. What do you think? Uh, I also didn't want her to think that I'm not serious about my PhD. And I think uh, having a a woman supervisor who uh, strongly believes in in, in, uh, women is very important in your career path, whether academic or practitioner, And she wrote to me, I know you will finish your PhD. I know you can do it. And so I packed my things. Uh, I packed my PhD research and I went to South Sudan as a first mission. And I have been taking my PhD to all other missions with MSF uh, and continue doing the research. And I think um, having a maturity of uh, doing the PhD helped a lot because it's not an easy process to write a PhD the fact that I was in an armed conflict uh, was very useful, very inspirational and helped me focus my research. I um, had my daughter towards the end of the PhD so my friends told me that I had two babies, one my daughter the second the PhD. (laughs) It was not easy but um, why should it always be easy, right? One thing that um, young people
1: who want to go into international human rights law struggle with, or into the international field, is securing the first position in the field. You were sent into South Sudan with MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières. How did you secure that position? I think I was
0: inspired by Geneva Academy and all these humanitarian professionals that were Surrounding us uh, during the the course and also in all these uh, lectures that were organized by by Geneva Academy, so I felt like it's the world that I want to to learn more about to to to, to have some experience in that. You, you you have to be persistent in applying and very often they say, they say it's who you know. I I don't believe so much in that. I know many people do, but I feel it's more like. Um, Know yourself and what you really want to do and make sure that you follow the the path. You know, you you prepare yourself for for applications. There is not a magic formula. I think everybody has to find their own way. Uh, Being in Geneva is uh, extremely uh, good uh, way to start because it's a small world and you are close to different uh, actors, different organizations, NGOs, international organizations and through different academic institutions that can facilitate this process. It's a very good way. What made you rejoin civil society? As I go forward with my uh, my life, I I try not to forget where I come from. It's good to know where we want to go, but it's also good to be uh, reminded uh, of our past and why we've taken some decisions and perhaps revise them, perhaps reaffirm them at certain points of our lives. Um, For me, given the the topics that I'm working on and I'm interested in working and being close to victims uh, to to human rights abuses is very important. It is important to have the the understanding of international policy proceedings, which I learned through the UN system and, and the UN Working Group, it was important for me to learn how humanitarian action and humanitarian world works, as I've had experience with um, Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders. And then I felt it's good for me also to learn how legal uh, advocacy and legal strategies can work in terms of protecting victims and also come back much closer to victims to understand dynamics. And I think it's, it's it's good to come back and uh, and we always bring something new to, to new positions, but we also take something from those new positions
1: with us. And you're clearly someone that has put a priority on in terms of ongoing learning and, and building your expertise. What skills are you working on acquiring these days? I'm
0: quite keen to sharpen my leadership positions and what they call uh, transformative skills now. <laughs> to say... It's not just being an expert in one thing, but it's really to to learn from the experience, gain some skills that you can use and adapt to different positions in your life. And that is something that is challenging, but also interesting when we move forward in our career path. If we change positions, if we change organisations, uh, employers, how do we adapt uh, to new positions to new employers, to new organizations, what can we bring? And these skills uh, that we we'll gained before, how can we uh, adapt them to the to the new context?
1: I think for practitioners of international human rights, um, there can be some emotional fatigue, particularly with the current global context. How do you remain motivated, engaged, and,
0: and avoid burnout? Burnouts are almost inevitable. Uh, in 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 the jobs that we do, because it's really hard to find the limits between what you truly believe, what your engagement is, what 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 your life cause is, and doing it as a job. For me, I've never done it as a job. I've done it because yes, it is a job, but I believe in it, so I invest myself a lot in every position that I do. I have personally been trained on how to identify signs. So um, it's something that I try to to be careful about. And when I see that I'm getting tired, losing concentration, I'm already, always in a good mood, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there are a few signs then, then you kind of put a break and say, stop now. I need to take a little bit of time for myself. It is important to, to also have good um, parachutes or, you know, the, the cushions who will, be able to pick you up. And it's, it's very often your colleagues and, and, and your friends, your close ones. If you could go back to yourself at the start of your career, what tips would you give yourself about being an effective human rights advocate? I would say, trust your instincts, trust yourself, and do not take things personally. And um, do not make people that have prejudice or discrimination against you affect you in, in your decision-making process or life choices. Be more courageous and, and, and dare more in my career.
1: Thank you Yelena for sharing your time and expertise with us. It's been such a pleasure to hear about the path of your career so far and I look forward to staying in touch with you.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate it and good luck with all your work. Thank you for tuning in to Women in International Law, a podcast by the Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights and the Atlas Network. If you found this episode inspiring, be sure to subscribe for more insightful conversation.
1: Stay updated for upcoming events featuring women with diverse experiences in international law at geneva-academy.ch and explore inspiring women's profiles and interviews at atlaswomen.org.